guys, this is Jeannie. And this is Sky. And welcome, welcome to, to Grave. Grave. <laughs> Hi everyone. This is our first episode. So, welcome to Grave where we cover the haunted histories of America's oldest cities. And this season, we're going to take you through Charleston, South Carolina. So today, I'm going to take the lead and tell you a very popular Charleston story. It's the story of Lavinia Fisher. So if you are from Charleston or if you have ever been to Charleston and you've been on a ghost tour, you more than likely have heard a version of this story. So that's the, ver I'm going to start off with the with the fairy tale the folklore of Lavinia Fisher and then I'm going to go into what actually happened to John and Lavinia Fisher so right before we dive in to this story I'm going to set up I'm going to set the mood for you guys I'm going to tell you a little bit about the time period so Give some ambiance <laughs> yes some ambiance dim the lights a little bit okay so this story takes place in Charleston of course but it takes place in the 1820s so at this point in time we're roughly give or take about 40 years past the Revolutionary War so we're having some some setbacks in the economy from the war as as it as it happens um, we had two things happen this year so this is the year that we had our fifth president in the United States, James Monroe. No relation. I did Google it. Um, and No relation to who? Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> no relation to Marilyn Monroe. Fun fact, I did. I wanted to just see if there were any ties. Mm -hmm. um, and there weren't. Um, another thing that happened is the queen, Elizabeth, her great-great-grandfather, King George IV, took the throne this year. Officially, he had been acting as regent to his father, who had been sick for a little while. So he officially took over as king in 1820. So there are two other things I want to point out that are important to both stories. So at this point in time, the Charleston port is one of the largest ports in America. It has There's a lot of traffic that comes from overseas and also from the northern ports in the country. Very important. An issue they have out, they have two main issues out in the water during this time. One is pirates. Pirates are a very real issue. Um, the other thing is yellow fever is pretty hot and heavy. And there was actually a quarantine for any ships coming in. They had to stay they could not dock, they could not come onto the land, their ships had to be searched, and it just really affected the trade. And so not only was the economy already affected from the end of the war, people are still trying to recover from that, now we have these other issues blocking another very important type of trade into Charleston through the port. So yes, this- I, I feel like it's relatable, you know, economy yes. dying from COVID. Uh, I get it, I get it. Yes. Yes, very similar, very, very similar cir circumstances to what we're currently dealing with. Um, I wish we had the, more pirates. Yeah. Yes, I was gonna say, <laughs> not so much of a pirate problem, um, but you know, 
I'm pretty similar as far as yellow fever is concerned. So this made the wagon trade in South Carolina much more important. It was a huge source. Not only did you have locals, other people in South Carolina coming in to trade goods, but you had people piling in. Tennessee, you know, Georgia, people are coming in to use this port. Um, so I'm going to jump into this story now. Set the scene. We kind of know what's going on. So there, outside of Charleston, what is current day part of Charleston at the time was outside of Charleston. You had these sets of inns or taverns. They would um, be called, you know, there was the Four Mile House, Five Mile House, Six Mile House, so on and so forth. And these were stopping points for people traveling into and out of Charleston where they would stop, stay the night, sometimes just stop to water their horses, um, get a meal before they continue on their journey. It was also a good meeting place for locals, people who owned farms in the area to come in and chit chat, trade gossip, trade news. They were a really important part of okay. outer Charleston. This so, was Facebook before Facebook. This was you Facebook know, before food. Facebook. <laughs> Yes, with food and drinks. Um, so John and Lavinia Fisher owned the Six Mile House. And the story starts with a gentleman named John Peoples, who is passing by on his way into Charleston with his horse, loaded up with his goods. He's on his way to sell them at the market. He decides, or he realizes, rather, he's not going to make it into the city. It's too late. He sees a six-mile house, so he decides to stop and check in about a room. So he hands over his horse to John Fisher. John Fisher puts it away for him, and he goes up to the house where he meets Lavinia. And Lavinia is beautiful. She's gorgeous. That's all anyone wants to talk about is how taken the men around her were. She was very used to getting her way. So when he comes up to the door and she hands him a hot cup of tea and ushers him over to sit next to the hot fire in the spring in Charleston, he's not going to say no. He doesn't want to offend her. <laughs> now, if you're thinking, well, Jeannie, obviously the story ends here, and this is why they killed her for torture, because it's spring in Charleston. Yeah. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's a surprise. It's not it's, why. Uh, it's a little shocking. But, I mean, I yes. have seen the pictures. Her waist is snatched. I... Yes, that corset just pulls everything in. So It's doing some work. It, it really is. She got her money's worth. <laughs> um, she's got that itty-bitty Kim Kardashian waist. So she hands him the hot tea, sits him in front of the fire, and wants him to get settled in. He does not want to offend Lavinia Fisher at all, so... What he does is he waits until she turns around and he pours the tea out. He's like, I'm not drinking this. He pours it out and then he excuses himself to his room. Gets to his room, lays down, tosses and turns, can't go to sleep. So he gets up, he sits in a chair on the other side of the bed and starts reading. Now about one in the morning, he heard a crash. Startles him, of course. He was knee deep in a book. Jumps up. He runs over. There's now a hole where his bed was. There was a trap door. He looks down the hole. The bed is down there on the ground. And John Fisher is looking at the empty bed with an axe in his hand. 
He looks up at Peoples. They make eye contact, and Peoples jumps out the window. He's out. <laughs> Forget the horse. Let's go to Charleston. And so this is where we're going to circle back to that tea that he poured out. It was poisoned with oleander. So if he had drank it, he would have fallen asleep in bed. John Fisher would have cut his head off, and they would have stolen all of his goods. So, I know. Fisher, I'm sorry, no, Peoples runs, there are too many Johns, Peoples runs into town, and he goes straight to the sheriff. He's like, they try to murder me. A mob is formed. The people are furious. They're like, this has been happening. We've been losing people. This is going to stop income into the city. We're going to fail. We have to stop the people from doing this to us. So they march out to the Six Mile House where they arrest John and Lavinia Fisher on the spot. They take them to jail. And they are tried and sentenced to hang by the neck until dead. And so it's not just for the attempted murder of John Peoples. What they found at their house was this... I've heard two things. I've heard they found just a ton of buried bodies on the property and I've also heard that they found a cellar full of dismembered bodies a cellar in yes. Charleston yes 19 feet above sea level they were in a cellar a pile of bodies in Charleston in the heat just oh. a pile of dismembered rotting bodies that smelled great <laughs> oh wonderful probably why John Peoples couldn't sleep that's fair. So they're tried, they're sentenced to hang, and the rumor is, what I've always heard in the story, is that it was illegal at the time to hang a married woman. So the governor was like, too easy, we're going to hang John first. Too easy. <laughs> she'll, be, she'll be a widow, then we'll hang her because she's no longer a married woman. Yeah. So, Lavinia Fisher was like, I see you, and I'm going to match you with, I'm going to get remarried. Uno reverse card, I love it. Yes. So, Lavinia Fisher leaves the gel house, puts on her wedding gown, her snatched little corset, and she walks around the park trying to get men to marry her. She'll be very charming, she'll try to use her beauty, she'll be very flirty, and they'll reject her. They're like, we've heard about you, we've heard about all the things that you've done, and we don't want to do that, so no thank you. And she would have a fit. She would curse them, stomp, scream, and then she would calm herself down and she would go to the next man and pretend like he didn't just see how she was acting. I love and it. And try to do it all over again. A bold woman. So, a very bold woman. And it might surprise you to hear that it didn't work and that she did not get married. <laughs> what? I know. The audacity. I know. I don't know who would say no. Um, <laughs> so Lavinia Fisher made it to the gallows. As was typical during this time, there was a priest there waiting for her to help save her soul there at the end um, and help her into heaven. He went to speak to her. He went to say, my daughter. And it says... And I've heard a few different phrasings of this. I'm sure everyone has. But she spit in his face and said, If you have a message for the devil, 
tell me now, I will be seeing him soon. And then she jumped off the platform and hung herself. Damn. What a badass. <laughs> I know. There's even a photo of um, Lavinia jumping with a noose around her neck that was painted by David Goebel. He is still alive. Um, he was not around during that time. It's just his imagination. Um, from hearing the story, he made this painting. He is a famous artist in Charleston. So that is the fake story of Lavinia Fisher. There are some explanations needed for the real story as well. So we've talked about the time period, how long ago this was, some of the things happening in the area. That is all very true. Something else I need to kind of preface here is something, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's called Lynch's Law. I know you've heard of lynching. Yeah. But this is Lynch's Law. So this is where lynching originated from. So... Britannica defines lynching as a form of violence in which a mob, under the pretext of administering justice, without trial. Okay, so a law that allows vigilante justice. This is not a slippery slope at all. It's not. And the way it came about, you're going to think, man, this is solid. Why aren't we doing this anymore? It sounds great. Um... (laughs) It, has, it started nothing to do with race, let me just say that. So, yeah. I'm going to explain it. So, in 1780, a man from Virginia named Charles Lynch created his own set of laws and terms to suppress a suspected loyalist uprising during the Revolutionary War. So, what he would do, what he... He would capture people he assumed were loyalist and were going to have this grand uprising against them for trying to liberate from the British and become their own country. So he would take them. There would be an informal trial, so at least he pretended. And at least he um, pretended. <laughs> at least with a court that he chose the people. And the punishments that he handed out were whipping, property seizure. There's that slippery slope you were talking about and forced enrollment into the military. Oh, God. Just kill me. (laughs) Yes. So he was doing this during the Revolutionary War. It was illegal, but the Virginia General Assembly retroactively legitimized his actions in 1782. Fuck me. So this is important because here we are 40 years later. Lynch's law is still the law. You could still do this. For the real story of what happened in 1820 with John and Lavinia Fisher in their six-mile house is there were a few travelers who would make their way into Charleston who would complain and report that they were robbed by a gang of people, but they had no details. They They couldn't tell how many people, what they looked like, were they male or female, what was their race, nothing. All they could say is, hey, a gang of people stopped me, beat me up, and robbed me. And it was outside of town. That's a little fishy, but okay. It is a little fishy. So there was a little mob in Charleston that decided, don't worry. We, here's the same reasoning. We're not going to let this happen to our town. We're not going to let this tank us. We are going to take care of it. 
So they decided, hey, this happened outside of town. I bet it's one of these inns, one of these taverns. We have one of these um, houses. So we're going to just run through them, run out the occupants, and then this will stop happening. Because that makes Super. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's It can't be a gang using the houses or traveling to capture people as they move. It's the owner's... Of the inns who would be affected if people stopped coming to Charleston to trade. Of course. It all makes sense. It's all coming together. Yes. <laughs> they made their way first to the five-mile house. The occupants who in the house refused to be thrown out. They fought back, and the mob said, don't worry, we'll take care of it, and they lit the house on fire. Oh, shit. So they ran out. So the mob then moved on to the six-mile house. They get there, John and Lavinia Fisher are like, hey, you know what? You kind of make sense. We're we're just going to go. So they left. I see that fire over there. You know what? <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe you and I would like my house not to burn down. They left, and the mob was satisfied at this point. They didn't go further. There's a seven-mile house. There's a ten-mile house. They're like, this is good. We're going to stop here and see if this stops the problems <laughs> we're having. Jesus. With with travelers being mobbed. So the mob places a man named David Ross in the house to stand guard. A few hours later, the Fishers and two friends come back, and David Ross claims they beat him up. They, I believe, there's a book that I read about this um, by a man named Bruce Orr. It is Six Miles to Charleston, the true story of John and Lavinia Fisher. And he writes in there, I believe he said that in the affidavit, Ross is quoted something along the lines of saying that he was boxed by the ears by Lavinia Fisher. You but know what? Good for not, her! Yes, he could not identify the other two people who were there. He's like, you know what, fine, and he leaves. He heads into town um, to tell the mob, hey, I was kind of beaten up by these people. They kicked me out. They came back to their house. How dare they stand up for their own house? I know. So he goes to report that, but before he made it back to Charleston, there was a man who had left Charleston by horse with his son, and his name is John Peoples. And David Ross makes his way back to Charleston. Before he gets to Charleston, about two hours later, it's documented, John Peoples, along with his son and their horse, stop at the Six Mile House just to water the horse. They're using a bucket that was outside. It is said that a man comes out and addresses the young boy and says, give me that bucket, I want to water my horse. And the young man says, no, I'm using it right now. And as soon as he denies the stranger the bucket, ten people ran out of the house with clubs, pistols, and shotguns and began beating him and his father, gashing John Peoples in the eye. So, Peoples grabs his son and the horse, and they take off back towards Charleston so they can get to the sheriff and report what just happened. But on the way there, he was stopped by the same men at the house who had attacked him and held at gunpoint, and they took all of his money, and they beat him up even more. Holy shit. So, it was pretty rough. So, Peoples... Now, is... Oh, sorry. I'll let you get in. 
to it. I was, is is this John and Lavinia Fisher in their gang, or yes. is this the the mob? This is okay. John and Lavinia Fisher in their gang. Peoples makes it into town, and the mob is like, "Oh, what can we do for you?" They take him to the sheriff, and he writes an affidavit. It there are some fishy things that you can find the affidavit. First of all, Bruce Orr has copies of it in the book. You can't really make out the handwriting, but you can find copies of this um, in Charleston at the library. It's documented that he turned these into the sheriff. This affidavit features five different styles of handwriting, and there are multiple places where his last name is spelled different each time. Each and in the same document. In the same document, each time the handwriting changes, apparently the way his last name is spelled also changes. So that makes wow, sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. David Ross also wrote an affidavit, but a lot of it was un... Even at the time, not just now, 200 years later, but at the time, it was a little illegible. Like, they couldn't make it out, but they still took it. So they took both these affidavits and gave them to the sheriff, and the sheriff was like, well, now I have to do something, because I have two witnesses who claim... John and Lavinia Fisher beat them up, along with some other people. So he gets a little group of people together to help him. They make their way out to the Six Mile House where they arrest John and Lavinia Fisher and three other people. They arrested a man named J- James McElroy, Seth, y- Seth Young, and a woman named Jane Howard. So they start interviewing other people. They find... Other people who are robbed, who can identify different people. And all together, there's a total of 12 people in this supposed gang. And I will list them out for you. So obviously you have John and Lavinia Fisher. You have James McElroy, Seth Young, and Jane Howard. So Jane Howard was arrested, but she was never charged or with anything. The highway robbery, like they are charged with originally highway robbery. And she's also not made associated to the gang and she's never mentioned again so there's a man named william hayward he was identified by someone as beating him up and robbing him he made bond and then you have john smith joseph roberts william andrews f davis and renee jacobs so renee jacobs william andrews and f davis were never arrested Joseph Roberts was not arrested for any of the mob activity that had taken place that we've already discussed. He was charged with making threats to a butcher about a cow that had gone missing in the area. Hmm. He had nothing to, they just associate, hey, he, there's a, in the area, a cow missing. Joseph Roberts threatened the butcher. Like, don't say anything about me bringing you this cow that they're looking for. And the butcher reported him for threatening him. Damn, not a homie. No. William Hayward, like I said, he made bond and he left Charleston. He was hung later in the year, but he was arrested for something else. Those are all the people associated with the gang. I just wanted to list all of those out. It's important because only John and Lavinia Fisher die from this. Out of all these people that they associate with this gang. What happens from here is they go to prison. They're placed in the old Charleston jail. And 
and they are given a cell together. It's in the lower levels. It's damp. There's no windows, no airflow. It's really disgusting. But the, and it's it was a cell that was originally made and used for isolating very violent and dangerous criminals. Lavinia Fisher made a big deal and really pleaded and worked. I don't worked magic. I really don't know how she did it, but she got them to move them to a bigger cell with a place with a window, so they have airflow they don't have water they don't have anything it's the 1820s please give me some air a window something that is not this tiny little box where it's damp and cold and i can't see anything so they were moved and when they were moved they were moved into a cell with joseph roberts this is where they escape because john and joseph escape the jail they made a hole under a window and they tied a bunch of sheets together, like they do in the cartoons. And Joseph went out the window first. They're about 20 feet off the ground. John went out after him, and the sheets broke, and he fell about halfway down. And at this point, they're like, Lavinia can't get out because the sheet's broken, and it's 20 feet above the ground. If I was her, I would have jumped. I would have been like, catch yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. I would have been like, catch me, <laughs> spread my arms. I would have leapt out. Yeah. I don't care. It's 20 feet. I might break my ankle, but it's better than being hung. Yeah. What's the other? What's the alternative here? That didn't happen. Lavinia Fisher and I are not the same person. They decide, okay, we can't get her out. It's too dangerous. We're going to have to come back. John abandoned his plan. The plan was they had a boat ready. They were going to escape to Cuba. I don't know how they arranged this from the prison, but... Who knows? He missed taking the boat. A reward was actually a $500 reward was placed on John, but not on Joseph. Even though Joseph at this point has escaped jail multiple times for different charges. Why does Charleston have this huge boner for both John and Lavinia? Like, specifically. Oh, it's going to get worse. Let me tell you, (laughs) it's going to get a lot worse for them. They are also, I mean, they're charged for, with highway robbery and beating some people up, but Joseph is charged for threatening to kill a man, to kill a butcher, to keep a secret about stealing a cow, multiple arrests, uh, been in, and escaped from multiple jails. And they're like, we're not going to put a price on his head, just John. John, I'm not exactly sure. I didn't find what the plan was, but he had a plan to rescue Lavinia so they could go to Cuba together. It did not work. He was arrested. He was found. He was caught. Put back in jail. So here's the part. I'm just going to get right into it where you're going to be like, okay, there's something going on here that we don't know about. No one can find because it's not documented. Another man around this time after John was recaptured, he admitted to the crimes that they were charged for all the robberies, everything. And it was very believable. It was actually written in two different places. There was a letter written, a public letter written by someone named G.C. It was published to the local papers. And then there was a pamphlet that was printed by Nathaniel Coverley. And in the pamphlet, he stated that a man was brought before the magistrate and he declared to him that he was the perpetrator of the crimes they were charged for. It was very believable. Apparently, he gave the exact time, day, and place of the robbery and what happened. He detailed 
what he took, how much money he stole, other little factors. He would only know if he was there or he did it. And this info, this information was given to the governor. It was Governor Geddes, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's G-E-D-D-E-S. Governor Geddes had this information and he just, it's, this is where, it's one of those things where it's split. Some people are saying that because he heard this, he was like, let's pause the execution and look into this a little bit. Other people are saying he paused it because it landed on the same week as race week. And he wanted people to come in for race week. And then on a separate week, he wanted to bring all those people back for more money to see them hang. Wow. I don't know which one it was. You know, I believe that, though. (laughs) The way the story is going, who knows? (laughs) Someone else, they never mention a name. They never say, this man admitted to it. You know, there's a whole pamphlet about it. There's a letter written to the paper about it. I could not find a name for this man who confessed to the crimes but i did see later in that same pamphlet it was stated that they never pursued it because they started to question his sanity and just let it go wow. like oh why would the i don't know why they questioned it they didn't say these are the details of why they questioned it they there was no real reasoning it just like he might not be sane. maybe because someone went to the cops and just said hey i did this they didn't and they're about to die for it. Like, you already got me on this other thing. So, that's why would he say that? That's crazy. He's insane. You can't trust him. Fess up to his own crimes, oh. <laughs> right? They completely forgot about it, and they went forward with the execution. John Fisher is said to have when he when they got there. So they pull up in the in the paddy wagon, and once he sees the gallows, it said a tremor took his entire body. He started shaking, and he pulled Lavinia to her, to him, and held her tightly. And then he let go, and he got onto the scaffold. Lavinia refused to walk up there. They threatened her. They tried to coax her, and they had to physically what, drag her. What did they her. threaten her with? Ooh, like what? You know, I read that, and that was my exact thought. What are you going <laughs> to do to me? You, you were trying to kill me. How are you going to make this worse? They don't have kids, you know. No yeah. mention of her parents. It's not like you can sit here and coerce me by saying, like, I will X, Y, and Z the rest of your family if you don't comply. They tried to threaten her. Obviously, that wouldn't work for me either. She, when she, they dragged her up there, she begged, she started begging the crowd to save her. She was like, please, 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 please help me. Please help me. And I just want to say, it was also in the paper and in the pamphlet, both writers acknowledged that the people of Charleston wanted them to be free. They were invested in this. They didn't think they did it, and they were they did not want them to be hung for their crimes. So when Lavinia got up there, she started begging for her life, like, please save me. She would tell them, I'm innocent. I'm a woman. You shouldn't hang a woman. Um, and then she would shift. She would start stomping and screaming she would curse the crowd. She would curse the governor. She stated she damned the governor to hell for doing this to her and for hanging a woman in the first place. It said that John, he acted completely, you know, he had the, the first, like, oh, this is real. And then he spoke before he was hung, and he, you know, he said, hey, we're innocent. You know, my wife didn't had no part in this. The whole time, John is going, he's going back 
he got out he could have been in cuba he went back for his wife and got caught he's been saying hey we're innocent my wife has no part in this i have no part in this you know he grabs her and holds her to him and at this point he starts trying to comfort her and just say it's okay i'll be there with you we'll meet in death you know you need to face it with um it said he said fortitude and a humble reliance on the goodness and mercy of heaven um but she completely ignored him and she this is a quote she continued to exhibit a great unwillingness to die <laughs> how poetic yes i feel i just want to this has nothing to do with the story really i feel that if the roles were reversed and she went out the window first before the sheets broke i feel like she would be in cuba and john would be there by himself i yeah that's just for real though i don't know her personally we've never met that's just the vibe i'm getting well john wouldn't have been a bitch he would have just jumped out the damn window probably <laughs> jump and roll yeah jump yeah. and roll easy i've seen it happen on. i do it on zelda you know when i'm playing on zelda you jump and you hit the button so you roll yeah you do the yeah yeah yep. you roll there's a man you want to guess what his name is is it also john? it's john yes there's a man <laughs> named john white he's an attorney in charleston and he wrote really great he wrote down a lot of details about the hanging itself about the reactions people were having he even went as far as to mention there is a priest a dr Furman is who they believe it was who john white described as having tears in his eyes when they were on the gallows i mean no one thought they did this the people of charleston there was not an uprising but they were like this we want them to go free like this did not they did not do this there's another man yeah. who confessed this doesn't even make sense it's high they're they're being hung for highway robbery that someone else confessed to like this and the, and then the statement that the witnesses gave are very messed up like yeah. this doesn't you can't even understand one of them movie it's 1820 we don't know what he wrote <laughs> you know so they weren't into this you know the priest was crying he was upset um and she did not jump to her death she did not go willingly whatsoever so that is the real story of john and lavinia fisher i know what you're thinking you're thinking man Jeannie, there are some similarities but how did this get so convoluted? Let me tell you. There is a man. His name is Peter Nielsen. And he wrote... Not John? Not John, actually. Surprise. <laughs> Not John. His name is Peter. And he wrote a book. And the book is called Six Years Residence and in the united states and he's a scottish man and it just outlines him spending six years across the united states some just short stories they're kind of split up in paragraphs you know he'll be talking about something and then he'll paragraph break and then just have an extra long paragraph with another story essentially so he wrote a book that was published and in the book he writes there's a part here and you can google this if anyone's interested you can google peter nielsen a six years residence it'll pop up you'll be able to see it this copy is from the library of congress i'm going to quote to you exactly what this book says the execution 
of a white person is a rare occurrence in Charleston. Several cases of this, however, came under my observation in the spring of 1820, one of which excited great interest, being that of a man and his wife for murder and robbery to an unknown but awful extent. These people kept a tavern about six miles from Charleston, and in concert with some of their associates, had for years carried on a complete trade of murdering and robbing, altogether unheard of, except perhaps in Italy in former times. Shout out to Anna. Shout out to Anna. Numbers of people, numbers of people who had traveled on that road disappeared in a sudden and mysterious manner. But, in quotations, he wrote, murder will out. A man from the country arrived at this inn one evening and being rather late for town, put up for the night. Somehow or other, he kept awake until midnight and hearing some discussion carried on by the people of the house from whom he was separated only by a wooden partition, he listened more attentively and to his horror and amazement heard them disputing as to the most convenient method in which they should dispatch him. As may well be imagined, he kept very quiet and hastening on his clothes contrived to slip out of the window and without looking after his horse made all possible haste for the city where he would instantly gave notice to the police large, a body of whom went out instantly. But the wretches, having missed their victim and suspecting their danger, were on their guard, and having barricaded their doors and windows, refused to surrender. At last a party of military had to be sent for, when a sort of bombardment commenced. The people in the house fired many shots and yielded only after the house was set on fire. The most of the gang, it was supposed, had made their escape previously. The ladies of Charleston exerted themselves in behalf of the woman, conceiving that the execution of a white female would be a disgrace upon the fair sex of Carolina. The governor was beset on every hand with, with petitions, but wisely contrived to keep himself out of the way of the ladies of Charleston until the execution was over. On digging around this din of inequity, a great number of skeletons were found, no doubt the remains of unfortunate travelers. The scorched and blackened walls of the house still remain as a memento to the bypasser. So this is where, ten years later, their story got, like, twisted. See, I think you're on to something, for sure, and I kind of had the same thought. They, there were 12 people total. One person they don't even have a name for. Some of them weren't arrested. Um, everyone but John and Lavinia escaped. William Hayward, I believe I mentioned, he was hung later in the year, but it's because he, he got arrested for something else. Completely unrelated. Yes. Yeah. So he made it, he left. He got out on bond and he's like, bye, I don't ever want to come back to Charleston. And he bounced. They were really after these two people. And there are some other things, you know, the sheriff was up for re-election. Um, he kind of had that hanging on him. So I'm not sure if he thought... If I admit that they're not the people who did this, will they trust me? Will I be reelected? You know, so on and so forth. I'm not sure his thinking there, but that is something that could have come into play. But yes, they seem to be targeted. I feel like there's something that we don't know. You know, did Lavinia Fisher deny someone? Did she turn down the governor? Is it one of those stories? Oh, damn. Who knows? I saw her waist. You yeah. saw her waist. I'll post a photo of it on the Instagram so everyone can see it. I don't know. 
And that, guys, is the story, the fake and true story, of John and Lavinia Fisher. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Join us next time, and I will be telling you the story of the Charleston Mermaid Riots. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at brave.podcast. Or shoot us an email at gravemediapod at gmail.com.